do you sometimes feel like your spiritual life is supposed to be in color, but you can only see it in black and white? Do you worry that you might be numb to God's presence, feeling like there should be something more? Hey friends, I'm Mark Allen Shelsky, and this is The Apprenticeship Way, a podcast about spiritual growth following the way of Jesus. This is episode 37, looking for God in all the wrong places. Today's episode kicks off season three of the Apprenticeship Way podcast. I can't really believe that. Thank you so much to everyone who's subscribed, who's listened, who's shared the podcast with friends. I've been learning how to do this and how to improve it, and you've given me great feedback and encouragement. I'm really grateful for you that you're listening and that you're a part of my community. In season three, I'll be doing a few new things. I'm going to interview some people I think that you should meet. I'm gonna share some books with you that I think will help you grow. And there'll be a few surprises as well. You may have already noticed new graphics on the YouTube version, and I keep working on improving the video and audio quality. I think I'm getting better at this, and your feedback is a big part of helping that happen. So thanks for being here, for listening, for sharing, for subscribing. Uh, I'm excited to share another season of intentional, personal, and spiritual growth with you as we apprentice ourselves to Jesus and His way. Today's episode is the first interview of season three with a friend and author who wrote a book that has really impacted me deeply. I'm excited to introduce you to him and his thinking about the inner life and the Holy Spirit. That's right up our alley. Now, before we go to the interview, I wanna let you know that this podcast is just one of the things I do to share practical, helpful encouragement and guidance for your spiritual life. Recently, I posted a small book on my website. It's free and I want you to have it. It's called The Anchor Prayer a prayer and process for remaining grounded in a chaotic world. It's short, most people will read it in a couple of hours. In this little book, I teach a spiritual practice that I've been using for several years now that has been deeply helpful for me in this chaotic time, keeping me centered, keeping me from losing my mind. It's free for you at my website, markallenshelsky.com. All right, in 2016, that's about four years ago now, I read a book that hit me right where I needed it. There were a few reasons for this. First, it was a book of theology, which I love. It was about the Holy Spirit. And see, in my experience, books of theology about the Holy Spirit are pretty drab and abstract. Lots of definitions and explanations. But this book was not that. This book was art. It was beautifully written. It was evocative. I found it compelling. I couldn't put it down. And that is a rare feat for a book full of God talk. Second, I was early into thinking about my inner life and the role of the Spirit, and so this book came along at a crucial moment for me. For most of my Christian life, the Holy Spirit was just a bullet point on a list of doctrines, something I was supposed to believe. I don't know if that's been your experience or not. But I was beginning to explore and experience what it meant to relate to the Spirit as living and present and engaged in my life. And the most unexpected part when I read this book is that I felt like I met God in a tangible way. The book is called The Face of the Deep, written by a guy named Paul J. Pastor. And so I was excited to discover not so long ago that this book was being re-released because the book had a big impact on me and because I know how hard authors have to work to get their words out and how much support they need. I'm thrilled to be able to take our time today to talk with the author of this excellent book, Paul J. Pastor. Paul's an award-winning writer and editor living here in Oregon. He's honestly a bit of a renaissance man with wide interests, literature, ecology, philosophy, art, the natural world, uh, camping, climbing, spirituality. 
all that shows up in his work. So with that introduction, let's meet Paul. Paul, I am thrilled to be able to sit down with you and have this conversation. Uh, I was so deeply impacted by uh, the face of the deep when I read it the first time. And to be able to sit down here with you and talk about it uh, means a lot to me. I'm really excited about having you here. Oh, man, Mark, it's so mutual. I'm happy to be here, too. I uh, have already let everybody know why why we're here, why we're talking about this book. And so I want to just start with this. I hope you'll forgive me being effusive and uh, complimenting you a lot. So when I read this book the first time, um, it's a book about the Holy Spirit, which uh, automatically, anytime you talk about the Holy Spirit, you also have to talk about um, uh, the inner life and how we're experiencing the world around us. And so the book ends up being about all of that. And when I read it the first time, I experienced something different uh, about um, reading about the Holy Spirit than I ever had experienced before. I'm, uh, like I think you are, a voracious reader, theology geek. I've been uh, you know, learning with and arguing about and wrestling with Scripture for as long as I could read, probably, probably longer. And The Face of the Deep was the first book, the first writing I'd ever come across about the Holy Spirit that wasn't dry sort of bullet point doctrinal explanations about, uh, you know, Christology and the Trinity and our dogma about these things and why God is three and one and present and the role of the spirit and what you need to believe about that in order to be an Orthodox Christian on the one hand. And it was also not a hand wavy sort of quasi mysticism that, felt like it had no real uh, application in life. It it felt, as I was reading this book, it felt real and rooted and true and scriptural, not in a proof texty kind of way, but like aligned with the heart of scripture. And at the moment, the season when I read it, it was profoundly encouraging to me. I, I have said to several people I passed the book on to that I felt like I met God in the process of reading your book. And I'm surrounded by God talk books. I, I have piles of them and that is not something I get to say very often. So I'm really eager to talk with you about being in that material, being embedded in the material that led to this book. How did it impact your life uh, to, to be thinking about this and writing about this and uh, the process that you went through to go from your own thoughts and maybe needs to this book. Wow. Well, first of all, thank you so much. I can't think of, I mean, honestly, you saying that is like an answer to prayer because that experience that you had was what I really wanted people to have as they progress through the book. Like this sense that not only are you reading about God, but there's, there's something of God in this book, yeah. something of the yeah. spirit in this book that's um, maybe you can't quite put your finger on it, but it's present and it touches you somehow. And that's there and and the sort of creative way that I approached writing about theology in this book was really because I needed a book like this personally. Having these two disparate experiences in my own life where on the one hand, spending tons of time in nature, in the wilderness, um, loving art and literature and culture and like seeing the spirits work so clearly uh, through human inspiration, through the just right. wonder and yes. grandeur and bizarre realities of creation and feeling the presence of God there as so many of yeah. us do in these wordless, unpredictable, mysterious, beautiful ways. 
And then walking from there into Christian spaces, which I loved and which felt like they had part of this story that was going on around them, but also felt a bit like trying to watch uh, a show that you know is in color on a black and white screen. Mm, It was one dimensional. Uh, The faith that I was encountering, it wasn't that it wasn't real. It just was only a part of the picture. And so I felt that I needed something contemporary that could integrate these ancient streams of thought, these uh, in many ways very uh, quiet, uh, nature-based streams of thought into historic and orthodox Christian theology, because there are these profound resources that we have in Christianity for understanding God's presence in nature, God's presence in culture, God's presence closely in our own lives and stories, and nearly mm-hmm. all of them intersect pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Right. Yes. So I went at this in um, in a way that was a little bit backwards for how a lot of theologians or people look at it, more like just one man embracing his experience of life in the spirit and then trying to understand it in light of historic Christian teaching. And what I found just energized me to speak to your question. It energized me. It made me excited. Uh, It was joyful and it was weird and it was engaging and it made me think of stories from my life that were full of images from the Bible all of a sudden. And Um, Mm -hmm. it just brought me close to the spirit in this wordless, intimate way that was on the one hand, very earthy, very everyday, right? Like it wasn't some disembodied mysticism, but it was rich and it was rooted. And, um, it frankly was one of the more important waypoints in my own Christian story. That's really cool to hear. I feel like that what you've just said, what you've laid out, I feel like that is viscerally on the pages. What's your Holy Spirit story before this, right? <laughs> some of us, some of us mm. in the extended Christian family are in streams where the Holy Spirit is very much a part of everything. That's not my background. Like my background was that the Holy Spirit was, like I said, a doctrinal bullet point. You checked mm-hmm. it off when you got baptized <laughs> and and then you really didn't think much about it. Again, um, it was a little bit scary, a little bit woo-woo. We, yeah. our particular tradition, kind of looked at those brothers and sisters who were really Holy Spirit-led kind of people and <laughs> sort of thought they were on the edge, you know, probably really risky, maybe possibly following, you know, at, at on good days, their own intention on a bad days, maybe some kind of evil influence, you know, like we, we didn't, we weren't very positive about that kind of Christianity. Just what, mild what heretics, your, right? Mild Right, heretics. exactly. I mean, like they yeah. meant well, right? They, they meant course. well. You know, but, but, uh, that, you know, my, my tradition was very head and doctrine oriented. What was your story of Holy Spirit connection coming to this point in your life? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll try and keep it somewhat brief, but I wasn't born into a Christian family. We, um, it was a very spiritual family, uh, but my mom was super into like transcendental meditation. My dad was much more of a Zen Buddhist type. So we were like Hmm. in philosophy, um, a pretty Eastern um, family culture when it came to spirituality. So mm-hmm. out of that, my family came to faith in the Foursquare movement, um, a, okay. a, a more conservative um, branch of the Foursquare denomination. But Foursquare, for those who don't know, was um, a denomination founded by Amy Semple McPherson um, at the beginning of the 20th century. And it is a charismatic movement. Mm-hmm. Um not quite as extreme as some of the other ones, uh, but it is charismatic. So growing up, there was a lot of emphasis and honor given to the Spirit's work and voice. 
uh, in ways that looking back now are act were actually very positive. There was just sort of this expectation. Well, of course, God is still working. Of course, God is still right, speaking. Right. Of course, like we all can tap into this divine life. That's why Jesus came, that we would have this ongoing mm -hmm, mm -hmm, sense sure. of power and presence. Today, I don't know that I would overtly, I don't label myself very much as anything, but I don't know if I would call myself a charismatic in terms of uh, relationships or anything like that. Um, uh -huh. We have attended Foursquare churches on and off. But for me, as I think about my own Christian theology of the Spirit, uh, it certainly encompasses um, a lot of the traditional aspects of charismatic faith in the sense that I do think that the Spirit is still working still speaking, uh, still giving gifts. But mm -hmm. my emphasis comes on the ways that the Spirit's work fits in with the larger pattern and logic of the world. This is the creator yes. spirit. Yes. This is the one who makes math work. This is the one right, who right. makes yeah. ecology work. Because of the Spirit, water flows downhill, right? Like that's yeah. my basic understanding. And so part, I think, of um, of that is simply to have open eyes to see the extensions and the ways that the world we live in actually teaches and reinforces those spiritual principles, which is, of course, all the way through this book. So my spiritual waypoints definitely do include traditions that really emphasize mm -hmm. the spirit, mostly in yeah. pretty healthy ways. But what I'm passionate about as well is for Christians to rediscover the ways that uh, pneumatology connects us more deeply to the created world, to the world of human culture, and the ways in which right now the spirit is active. Because Christian theology yeah, says yeah, yeah. right now, you and right I here, are having right this now. conversation yes. because we are held up and, and sustained by the spirit's action. Wow, what presence, right. what intimacy. Right. Amazing. Right. Um, if, the, if we were given no other gift than that, Good grief, what a, what a powerful and potent spirituality that is. What you're saying here is just so exciting to me because I think that certainly coming from the viewpoint that I had growing up is that this the kind of charismatic side, which is sort of we've let the charismatic community sort of be the ones who talk about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the way that that sort of is played, and this isn't this isn't a fair description for many people that mm -hmm. I know, but for sometimes the way that, that that gets played is that the Holy Spirit is sort of this special uh, present that just Christian people get. <laughs> so mm -hmm. on the one on one side, it might be that you get a special kind of comfort and presence and joy that isn't available to other people. And mm -hmm. then also maybe there's some magic tricks involved, right? Absolutely. And superpowers. And yeah. right. And that's and that is a, this this particular narrow and and again I grant a not a very unfair way of describing that mm -hmm. that viewpoint. But what I love about what you just described is I think you're talking about learning to be conscious and present to what God is doing through the spirit in and around mm -hmm. all of us all the time. Mm -hmm. And the difference is that first view, I'm looking for a very narrow kind of experience that feels a certain way. And if I don't mm -hmm. see that, then the spirit must not be here. And mm -hmm. may maybe I'm doing something that's offending the spirit, or maybe mm -hmm. I haven't done the right things mm -hmm. to get access to that power. Mm -hmm. But that's yeah. not what you're talking about. No, what you're describing is uh, this propensity, especially a charismatic propensity, but we all fall into it in our own ways of saying, um, gosh, I want to see God do a miracle. And what I'm saying yeah. is, look around. Nothing is not a miracle. 
Right. Like right. you, it's seriously like people want to walk on water. And my thing is actually the fact that you sink in water is also the spirit's work. There's this, <laughs> this deep understanding that we're actually living in an intentionally curated world for us to encounter and experience God, for us to encounter and experience each other. We're just asleep to it. We're numb mm. to it. Mm-hmm. And though God can do whatever God wants, the spirit will blow your categories out of the water all the time. Right, that's right, what, yes. That's what the spirit does, right? But with that said, miracles are the exception. Can they happen? Sure. In fact, I think I might have seen one, maybe two in my life, one for sure. But like that, that like supernatural thing where it's like, whoa, something different is here. And I allow yeah. for that. Absolutely. But that's not normative life. And we shouldn't seek it as normative life. We're made right. to live in this world as part of this world, to consecrate in these earthy, holy ways, our own spheres of influence to the body of Christ and to the will of the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? The earliest story in the Bible is of the Holy Spirit hovering over sort of these symbolic, archetypal, chaotic waters of creation. It just yes, represents right. nothing, sort of. It's symbolic. Um, and the Spirit's doing that in all of our lives. The potential that's around us all the time, the Spirit is calling things up and letting them fall, and existence itself is pulsing with this life that we get to partner with and join. That's the miracle. And doing that mm-hmm. in the name of mm-hmm. Jesus is the Christian path. We just so easily forget it. We overcomplicate it. We narrow right. it. Again, back to that like black and white and color metaphor, we just insist on changing the channel back to monochrome when right. it's so right, right. much richer. Yeah. Wow. The richness of life and the beautiful mystery of the spirit is good. It's satisfying. It's what mm-hmm. we were made for. Mm-hmm. And you don't mm-hmm. need to leave the Christian tradition to scratch that good itch. If you want that and you yearn for that type of living, that is the life that Jesus has brought you. Mm. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. I, I I think of a contrast in my own experience between growing up in that kind of head-oriented faith community that I talked about. You know, we had these moments that we either looked forward to or looked back at, you know, kind of the mountaintop moments, you know. So we had the youth retreat every year. And the way we talked about those kinds of moments was almost like they were sort of like a like a like a vitamin that you took to kind of <laughs> imbue you with mm-hmm. connection to God and Holy Spirit attachments for the rest of your sort of normal, boring, mundane life. And we would always, even at these retreats, you know, some youth pastor, the, the final talk at the retreat is like, how do you take this home with you? Like when you go home and you're not on the mountain anymore, like how are you going to keep the quote unquote mountaintop experience in your everyday life? And mm-hmm. also I think falling into a trap of trying to recreate that moment. You know, like, like we sang this particular song at the conference. It was amazing. And then you teach that song to your own youth group and you sing it and you're like, "Ah, it's not, it's not the thing. It's not the thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When you say that, and I can relate to that. All I hear is like, um, a really charming, innocent immaturity. It's like being a kid who wants every day to be Christmas, right? Right. A kid wants every day to be Christmas and every day to be their birthday. Well, if you could wave a magic wand and make that happen, it would begin to not be Christmas anymore, right? It's special because it is unique. And so 
for those of us who who do embrace or enjoy those deep spiritual experiences, I don't invalidate that at all. They can be like Christmas, but mm. don't try and hang on to Christmas in July. Let July be July. And it's that sense of connection and presence in our own spiritual lives that's part of the logic that I see here. So I do think great spiritual harm can and has been done in the name of the Holy Spirit. When people are saying things like, you might not be saved if you're not speaking in tongues, or if you're not feeling sure. X and Y emotion, you're, you know, you're, you're a yeah. lesser than Christian. That's, that's a manipulative, that's borderline abusive. I've got no space or time for that. But there is room for like this times of celebration when the spirit shows up. Yeah. Or you feel the spirit's influence in a special way. At any rate, I hope that that makes sense of like, I, I don't want to dismiss that, but I want to remember that all of the earthiness of Christianity, the everydayness, the occasional boringness of our faith is part of the wonder. It's part of the whole piece. Uh, and it just takes us um, recalibrating some kind of adolescent expectations for what faith ought to be mm. and settling in for a more mature look at the long haul and saying, what's my actual experience? What's my actual life? When I take a deep breath and step back and try and just incorporate and encompass and embrace where I am and when I am and how I am and what I am, and all of those questions, what rises to the surface? What do I notice in myself or my life? And in that place, what am I noticing and experiencing about God? Because it's oh, the yeah, Spirit's right. work who's making that happen in the everyday. That middle of July, there's something special and unique and God breathed about that too. And maybe that's part right. of the discipleship process is learning, learning that that's real and learning how to begin noticing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, over and over again, we hear Jesus talk about, um, people needing eyes to see and ears uh, to hear. Yes, right. And that's yeah. such a haunting call and cry for me is this idea that we could be seeing things and not seeing them. We could be mm -hmm. hearing things and not hearing them. Be right in the middle of something and be insensible to it, be numb to it. There's this old line from the stupid Tom Hanks film, uh, Joe versus <laughs> the Volcano. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say it's stupid. It's actually brilliant. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, but one of the characters, one of Meg Ryan's characters in this film says, almost everybody is asleep. And man, the more I think about that, the more haunting that becomes. Because I think I think it's true. I think your character is absolutely right. Almost everybody you meet is asleep, and only a few people ever really wake up. Yes. But the good yes. news is, um, the part you know, part and parcel of the Christian story is that we are waking up. Mm -hmm. Christ wakes us up. The Spirit wakes us up. It's all waiting there just for us yes. to lean towards it a little bit, and it all comes rushing in. So uh, it's not a source of shame or confusion. It's simply join this thing that's going on around you. Awake, sleeper, awake, and rise from the dead, and yes, Christ yes. will shine on you, to quote yes, that ancient hymn that Paul, that Paul mentions. That is, I think, the core of Christian spirituality, is just waking up, seeing things as they are, and then beginning to live in the light of that reality. It's not that mm. complicated. <laughs> oh, man. But it's also that, not uh, easy because we, well, we live I, in a world system trying to keep us asleep. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sleeping is more comfortable for sure. Waking up means you notice uh, things internal and things external that are difficult or painful or misaligned. And uh, it's, you know, far easier to live your life uh, separated from that. Um, I mean, like right now, we're in a moment in time where there's a great deal of uh of discomfort, discontinuity, confusion, people's ideas about what values they have held are getting challenged by what they're seeing in their own emotional reaction to the world around them. You know, we've got, we're deep into, at the time we're talking about this, we're deep into the coronavirus pandemic. We have had now two months worth of protests nationwide uh, arising out of discussions of inappropriate behavior on the part of law enforcement and people responding to that in one way and another. And there's a lot of trauma response and untended anger and untended sadness and fear and the ability to even plan. So in that kind of a moment, it seems like this message about becoming uh, awake and paying mm. attention to the work of the spirit in the mm. everyday realities around us, that feels really important. How, how do you mm. see this conversation reflecting on the moment that we're in? Yeah, it's a great question. I think you have to hold two competing truths equally, uh, experientially and equally. The first truth is these are hard times. They just yeah. are. And, and, um, our nation and our culture are not used to hard times. Some individuals mm -hmm. here are. People who have weathered tough stuff in their life are better poised for moments like this than others. But in general, we've become a very comfortable and complacent people. Soft times breed weak people, and we've become mm -hmm. a weak people mm -hmm. in, in, many, in many ways. And so what we're experiencing now as these cataclysmic changes, many of our ancestors would look at and be like, what? <laughs> right. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, right and that, right. <laughs> that scope of history, I think it's important to remember that because we need something yeah. larger than our experience if we're going to have ballast and an anchor here, even for our minds, like just following the news cycle, you'll go nuts if you try and yes. keep up with, with all the latest everything. You will go nuts right? And so you need something larger than yourself to give perspective. And that I think is one of the key elements of encountering the spirit, especially in nature and culture, where it's like all of a sudden, instead of taking these little sips of water from a, a small drinking fountain, you sort of lift the cover off and you see there's this well underneath it. Uh. It's deep, it's old, it's pure. It's cool, and it goes way, 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 way farther than you can see. And so mm. that perspective of remembering humanity, um, global culture, Christian theology, nature itself has things that they can teach us in this time. Just remembering God's presence, you know, is this small virus that's likely passed from an animal to humans, is that... Uh, is that a surprise to God? No, not at all. Hmm. I can sit with that. I can hold that. So for all the disruption and the stress and the difficulty for the, you know, as of now, many hundreds of thousands of people who have been personally impacted through death, through lingering health issues, like there's just an incalculable loss there. I can hold yeah. that and I can honor that while also saying, 
there is a moment of transformation happening here that can be an invitation for us to look at ourselves, for us to consider our culture, for us to basically go deep into that well and say, wow, Hmm. I didn't know how thirsty I was until this crisis came. Um, And that can be the gift of times like this. So not silver lining this, not whitewashing it, or you're not hearing me say any of that stuff. You are hearing me say, there is a blessing here if we find it. Yes. But we have to seek where our roots go. How deep is that well? And that's part of what excites me about about the spirit is because that will look different in each of our lives. Encountering God's spirit Mm -hmm. will look different for you, Mark, than it will for me. The principles will be the same of presence, of kindness, Mm -hmm. of uh, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, like all the things that are brought in those scenarios are the same, but it's totally different in your life than it is in mine. So our responsibility is to pause, to try and say thank you, even when we don't feel like it. And then to get on (laughs) with the work of living with as much awareness as we can muster, as much connection as we can muster, as much simplicity as we can muster, and just say, Father, let me find the deep well and and drink from it. Can I have some water today? I truly believe that that prayer will be honored, no matter Mm -hmm. what year it is, no matter what crisis we're weathering, because nature is going to go on. God's work is going to go on. Nations have risen. Nations have fallen. Plagues have come. Plagues have gone. What remains is the faithfulness of God, the resilience of this world that God has made, and the Spirit's intimate and giving presence in the midst of it. And that life, mm, come death itself, that life will carry us past it. That's so good. And my and my sense is listening to you right now uh, and thinking about my experience reading The Face of the Deep, that sense of the well is, I think, what I was getting at when I said it felt real to me, right? It felt like it was tapping into something really deep and sustaining that, um, you know, that at least for me at this point in my journey, bullet points of articulation about the role of the spirit in the economy of the Trinity don't sustain me. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot. There are, this will sound abstract, but I promise I'll bring it back. There are three systems in the human body that contain neural networks. So neurons, right? Your brain has neurons. Obviously, that's what you immediately think of. It's how you think amazing meat computer that's just flashing with electricity all the time. Your heart has a tremendous number of neurons Mm. and your gut, your digestive system also has a neural network. And we think even that word is loaded, we think of thinking as the only way that we can process knowledge, but it's really not mm-hmm. true. Just like uh, just like the brain processes and the heart processes, surely in your work with emotions, this is a familiar idea, um, your gut does too. And each of those, if we sort of symbolically think about them, of mind, rational inquiry, of heart and feeling, and then of gut, which is uh, really foreign in our culture, but is the yearning and the ache and the like, the, the magnetic pull to, in, mm-hmm. in, to intuit things. Sure, yes, All right. of, we say, trust your gut, right? That's a, mm-hmm. that's a way of knowing. All of these ways of knowing are vital and they're human and they're teaching us something. Do we have to be tossed mm-hmm. about by them? No, but all of these means of knowing are ways of encountering God and doing theology. We just overemphasize the one. We make right. it as if yes. knowing God means thinking God thoughts. That's right. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And it never yeah. meant that. 
It never right. meant that. That is a product of our decadent post-industrial, post-enlightenment civilization that says, well, unless you can buy and sell it, put it down on a piece of paper, it's not worth nothing. Well, get rid of that notion. <laughs> right. Humanity right. throughout the ages knows better ways of knowing than we do now. Yeah. Many of us are 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 yearning for something. And just the fact that you're yearning for something is a signal in itself. You know, that that yearning is in fact the deep calling deep kind of dynamic of our spiritual life. And you're writing about, talking about how do we pay attention for that way that God engages us. Exactly. Very briefly, Esther Lightcap Meek, who is a, a philosopher and a modern epistemologist, she studies knowing. Like her, her area of inquiry is knowing. How do we know stuff? She talks about these ways of objective, essentially objective subjectivity. Uh, and she would say, you know, do you know how to ride a bike? Yes. Okay, great. So do I. Now write, teach down and bullet point for me how you ride a bicycle. <laughs> right, yeah. And you can't do it. Why? Right. Is that not an objective way of knowing? No, it's completely objective. The same physical realities operate on our bodies. The same everything is yes. happening. It's the same knowledge that you and I share, but you cannot express it rationally. You cannot verbally teach somebody how to ride a bicycle. And that mm. I think is what part of the core theological knowledge that I'm trying to uh, integrate and express in the book is. It's like, okay, stop trying to bullet point for me how to ride the bike. Let me talk about the experience of learning to ride the bike. Stop yes. trying to just outline for me all the things I need to remember about the Holy Spirit to get an A on my catechism exam or whatever. Let me walk into the woods. Let me climb a dangerous rock face. Let me get lost in Zagreb, Croatia. Let me um, hunt and uh, ride the river rapids and um, experience the wildness of life. And in those places, that knowledge teaches me something. In those places, that knowledge mm. connects me to God's life in this unique way. And all of a sudden, I find my mind, my heart, and my gut are all united together in these ways of knowing God that I've yearned for. And that mm. black and white picture, even if just for a moment, changes to color. Mm. The idea that you give us permission to mm. see the spirit at work in things that we might have thought were not sacred mm. Mm. feels so important to me, particularly as we're wrestling with how to be church when mm. a lot of our practices for being mm. church together, we can't do right now, right? Mm. And some people are kind of having a visceral reaction, like, well, if I can't get together in a big room with 300 people and sing these songs at the top of my voice, then I'm being denied my ability to worship God, which of course is absurd, you know, <laughs> but, it, but it might require some sacred imagination to say, oh, mm. what does it look like for us to mm. engage sacred community mm. when we can't do those things. And mm. the tool set that comes along with this book of paying attention for what God's doing around you, seeing the spirit in things that may not even fit your categories of mm -hmm. sacred things, uh, mm. that feels really rich and helpful right now. Mm. That makes me so happy because you know, this book is really one man's journey, right? But the basic paradigm, the basic understanding uh, and the very simple key, this idea that the spirit is present and just waiting for our yes. awareness to just initiate these amazing processes of growth and, and life in us. 
I want every single person who reads this book to be able to branch out from this and have mm. their own way of living that comes from it. In a lot of ways, I feel like I, um, I just tried to set myself as an extremely imperfect example. This is what it looks like when I started looking for the spirit in my life. Mm. These are the mm -hmm. places I found, I found him. Uh, and I want you to do that as Mark. And I want every single person in your book group to do that as only they can. And of yes, course, right. it's not necessarily a book that's going to come out of that. It's better. It's a life that comes out of that. It's a yes. lifestyle that comes out of that. It's a way of connecting and relating to God and the world that is extremely practical, very grassroots, earthy yeah. and fun and humorous and engaged and really holy that comes out of that. So I hope everyone who encounters this book walks forward from it with that same posture of just welcome, just invitation. Let's see where the spirit is in my life today. Think about what Paul's been saying. Are we so committed to what we think we know about God, all of our God facts and theology that we limit ourselves from knowing God in these other ways? It's been essential, even faith-saving, for me to realize that the Spirit is at work all around me, and that includes even the moments that don't look very spiritual. I think God is inviting us into a deeper experience. Paul's book and his perspective reflect this. This book, The Face of the Deep, it might be worth your time. You might find it helpful like I did. But more important than reading another book is deciding that you're going to wake up. Stop letting the present moment pass. Stop assuming that this moment is not full of the divine. Jesus told his disciples in the upper room, in that day you will know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Do you hear that? That means that you, right now, where you are, right now you are not alone. Right now God is with you. Right now in your life, in the circumstances you find yourself in, you are swept up in God's presence. May you come awake and learn to see the Spirit of God at work in the normal, everyday reality of your life. Thanks for listening. You'll find the show notes for today's episode, including any links or resources mentioned at markallenshelsky.com forward slash TAW037. And if you haven't done it already, please subscribe to the podcast. That way you won't miss anything. You can subscribe in iTunes, in the new Apple Podcast app, or frankly, in almost any other podcast app out there. We're on Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Android Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, uh, Podchaser, Radio Public. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find The Apprenticeship Way. And if you have an app that you prefer and we're not there, tell me and I'll get us there. So subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing here, would you do me a favor? Would you please go and subscribe on YouTube? I'm making a push to get to 500 YouTube subscribers by the end of the year. That's just three months from now. See, I've got this little baby YouTube channel, but YouTube is the second largest search engine on the internet. Did you know that? When people want to learn something, YouTube is actually the first place that most of them search. And I wanna reach those people. When you like and subscribe on YouTube, it tells the YouTube algorithm that people like you might like this content. And that's how YouTube decides to serve up a recommendation in people's YouTube homepage. So your subscription on YouTube not only helps me, it helps other people. So would you head over and subscribe? Thank you so much. Until next time, remember, 
in this one present moment. You are loved. You are known. You are not alone.